And then you come to the snake, as you mentioned. I mean, who is that mirroring? Like Israel, water crossing, snake, right? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, water crossing, temptation, snake. You know what I mean? Like you've got all these echoes here. And so you come to this kind of water and snake imagery and you have to begin reading. Uh, This is what I'd say. You have to read Acts, not just literally, but understand that he's echoing Old Testament and New Testament stories again and again in the narratives that he tells. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Real quick, before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the Book of Judges. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we're doing a book club episode with Patrick Schreiner. It's on his new copy of The Mission of the Triune God, a Theology of Acts. It's within the New Testament theology series published by Crossway. And we are going to jump into that conversation with Patrick here in a few moments. But first, just as a reminder, there is some show notes links that are helpful to you guys. There's one for Crossway. You can click that link and get this copy or any of the books within this New New Testament theology series for yourself. There's also a link to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a group of Reformed podcasts that we're a member of. So if you enjoy our show, you'll probably enjoy some of those. There's also a local church finder. So you can type in your zip code and find a local Reformed church near you. So we'll jump in and further introduce Patrick Schreiner today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on, Dr. Schreiner. Yeah, good to be with you guys. If you guys are like, wait, I just heard Dr. Schreiner's voice before. Who who in the world is this guy? This is this is the uh, this is the esteemed the esteemed son. I'm I'm sure you're sick and tired of hearing son of of Tom Schreiner, but um, yeah, Dr. Dr. Patrick Schreiner. So not Dr. Tom Schreiner, but Dr. Patrick Schreiner. He's a <clears throat> director of a residency PhD program and associate professor of New Testament biblical theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I know some people just just like maybe we, we've been confused before. It's like, wait, Patrick Schreiner, Tom Schreiner, like how on earth are they? How on earth are these people? How do they have the same name? <laughs> yeah, we are related. And the only reason I got in the series is because my dad's the editor. That's the secret <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I would but like even maybe on a <clears throat> more like practical. What what's it like writing a book edited by your dad? Well, you know, I've always <laughs> it's a good question. Um, hopefully he doesn't listen to this. So we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I think he does. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've always sent him my stuff because we work in the same field, which is really fun because I, I get to kind of bounce my stuff off of him. Just every everything I write, I send to him and I'm very thankful that he'll read it all. Yeah. But I, I did notice as the editor, he definitely gave me more comments on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
sometimes I'll send him stuff and he'll be like, it looks good. And I'm like, I'm kind of looking for more than that. Um, yeah. lo- love some real feedback, but, um, yeah, this one, it was, it was good because they gave me some helpful comments when I sent in the first draft. I think if I remember correctly, um, they asked me to do more on Christology huh. and they asked me to do more on the law and acts. And so okay. I actually kind of had two excursions on that because yeah, really, yeah, I remember that. Yep. It didn't right really fit into my plan. Yeah. of like i'm really big on structure and how you put things together i was yeah. like oh yeah i think you're right because they're trying to get a kind of big <clears throat> theology of um of acts and so they were like oh those are two pieces i feel like you didn't hit as much mm. so i kind of did a sides for those and did more on crystal gotcha. like yeah, i wanted comments but not that many comments <laughs> <laughs> i didn't want to add so many paragraphs no but it was actually, <laughs> yeah. it was actually really good to hear that because that's what you want from an editor like what yeah what pieces are you missing in a theology of a book huh so after, after this, you're like, oh, I want to write more books for my dad. Or you're like, oh, that's good. <laughs> um, I mean, I want to stay away from the nepotism thing. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would probably say, you know, this, this is just a series that I thought was interesting that I wanted to be a part of. So it worked out that he was the editor and I'd been kind of the, the, the history of this book is I'm finishing up a commentary on X, which will mm-hmm. be about six to 700 pages. Yeah. And so this is actually an outgrowth of that. And if you if you kind of read in the the preface or maybe I put it somewhere in there, this the outline kind of came to me there and I'm expanding on it here. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I gotta I gotta say, I mean, you're A, you're you're a great writer, but B, you have a you have a better beard than your dad's. That's that's one thing. <laughs> My dad used too. to have a beard and then he shaved it. I actually remember when he shaved it. Cause I was in high school and I was like, who is this man? Who's my father? Cause I didn't, I hardly recognized him. So yeah. he had one for a while. Maybe he had the same issue as me of a baby face as a professor and he yep. kept it for a while. And then when he got, uh, I think he was probably around 45 or 50. He was like, yep. all right, I'm losing it now. So <laughs> yeah. When he finally started looking it. old, he took off the beard. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If you look <laughs> back at pictures of actually, I was talking about this the other day is, you know, he grew up, uh, in the 60s born in early 50s and uh, he had the Beatles haircut because it was the 60s yeah. he looks genuinely like a Beatles like one of one of the characters from from or one of the band members so um, yeah we were just talking about different hairstyles the other day I don't know why we're talking about that on this podcast but here we are <laughs> that's right yeah no that's good people like the conversational stuff that, that we do on the front end yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or else, yeah. Maybe people are like, "No, let's let's freaking get onto the show already. Let's stop. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Stop this forward back or banter." Um. Yeah, I guess what, my first question would be just going back, going to the basics. If so, just assume somebody doesn't know much or anything about the Bible, and they're like, "What is Acts? What, yeah. what, what are we talking about? What what is that?" And uh, so maybe just basically explain what the book of acts is and and who it's geared towards and what's what's the goal of it yeah so acts uh comes after the days of jesus and basically it's the story of the early church and the birth of the church so what did the apostles do Uh, what did the followers of jesus do right after he left what what were they commanded to do what were they supposed to do how did that work out and so acts follows uh some main characters really it, it Acts is actually pretty clear that it's not following just apostles. Yeah. Um, the first half does follow Peter a little bit more, and the second half follows Paul a little bit more. But you have other characters kind of interspersed. And if you look at the end of the book, it's actually pretty clear that it's about the progress of the word and what I would argue the mission of the triune God. So mm-hmm. 
what what's going to happen with this what uh, we could frame it in this way what's going to happen with this kingdom movement that jesus started hmm. um does it just die after he <laughs> raises from the dead well it's not going to die because he's alive and he's yep. ascended to the heavens it's going to continue on but what's surprising about the book of acts i think maybe for you know it's hard thinking about the first time you read acts yeah what's so surprising about it well i, I think one of the surprising things is you might expect everything to go really well because mm. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Um, but what you find is that there's a pairing of both growth and life and resurrection, just in terms of even healing people, wonders and signs, but that's also paired with persecution, suffering and mm. death. And so when you first read, you're like, wow, I thought it was going to go so amazing. And it does start out so great. Like 3000 people are saved at Pentecost. But then people start to get upset. The temple leaders are not okay with the message that they're preaching. And, th and then you start to kind of rewind back to Jesus's life. And you're like, oh, right. This is what Jesus said would happen. You're going to go out. You're going to be persecuted. But you're also going to have the power of resurrection life to spread. So that pairing is kind of odd at a first read. But at the same time, you recognize that's exactly what Jesus's life was like. There was great power with him. There was great healing. But at the same time, there was great suffering and persecution. And in the Gospels, Jesus says, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. And so it actually clicks into place. Yeah. Suffering and power go together. Huh. <clears throat> yeah. And that's, and that was, you know, A, that was clear throughout your, and this, yeah, I mean, this kind of goes into my, my, my next question. It's, it's not, it's not a commentary proper where you don't like go verse by verse hey this is what this verse means this is what this verse means in chronological order where i know that's kind of what you're doing for your other your other commentary on acts but yeah what what are you trying to do in this book that's not really a commentary it's more like it's like theological it's it's kind of thematic so like how would you describe what you're doing in this yeah so this book is a theology i mean most simply a theology of acts so what what is the theology that luke is trying to get across in his book so you could look at a theology of the whole new testament a theology of different books. This is a theology of this book. And there's many things we could say. I think at a popular level, when people come to Acts, um, they typically like to think of the book in terms of mission, which isn't completely mm -hmm. wrong. So Acts 1-8, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we're to go out and be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so typically when you hear a sermons kind of series on Acts, it's about what do we need to do? We need to go share our faith. That, that's, mm -hmm. And that's totally true. And that's totally mm -hmm. in there. Um, but, but I wanted to kind of back up and say, is there something even more foundational before mm -hmm. that? And so uh, another way that people kind of look at Acts is they look at, man, it's the work of the spirit. Like it, it, it's uh, so many people see the spirit is so active in the book of Acts. So mm -hmm. this is the wonders, the, the working of the spirit in the book of Acts. And a lot of times the main question that comes up is charismatic gifts. Do they continue? Yeah. Do they cease? Can we still do these things? H how uh, prescriptive is this? Are we supposed to do everything that they were doing? Is our church supposed to look exactly like that? And again, th those are good questions to ask. And I would even add that more kind of modern works on Acts have been really putting the focus back on Jesus Christ and saying, these are the continued acts of Jesus Christ. It's not so much the acts of the apostles or even just the acts of the Holy Spirit, but it's the acts of Jesus himself. If you look at Acts 1.1, it says in the former book, Luke says, I, I detailed everything that Jesus began to do and to mm. teach, mm -hmm. implying, and I think this is true, 
that Jesus is continuing to act, although he's gone in the book of Acts itself. So I looked at all those and, you know, what's funny is I'm like, these are all true. Um, another one that people propose is like the church. It's about the church. This mm-hmm. is about how to run the church, what the church looks like. And as I looked at all these different proposals for kind of, um, I don't want to say a center of the theology of Acts, but a kind of a logical ordering of the themes in Acts, I kept looking at them and saying, yeah, that's true. It's about Peter and Paul. It's about the church. It's about the word. It's about Jesus. It's about the spirit. Um, and what I thought was missing was kind of a, what I said earlier, a logical ordering of these themes. So as I step back from the book of Acts, my proposal is that this is the mission of the triune God. So as Christians, the most basic confession that we have is who God is. Mm-hmm. God is one in three persons. And it's very clear throughout Acts that this is God's mission first, not mm-hmm. ours, that he welcomes us into that. And it's not only God's mission in terms of just God, but it's the mission of the triune God. So the father has a plan. Uh, the son directs it. He rules and he lives. And then the spirit empowers us to do those. Things. Totally, so yeah. I, we could go to some verses, but what I think if we go straight to mission, if we mm. go straight to what are we supposed to do, we're missing that this is actually God's plan first. And mm-hmm. this is accomplished by the spirit first. And this is through the son first. And then we are joining mm. him, not the other way around. So honestly, it's kind of bringing, I mean, this has been so popular the last 25, 30 years, but it is kind of bringing a God-centered vision. Yeah. yeah to the book of Acts and saying, it, it is about what you do, but it's really more about what God is doing through you because yeah. he is the main actor. He's, he's God. He's the first mover. We, mm-hmm. we respond to him, not he responds to us. And so, um, and when I, when I, you know, it's, it seems so obvious when I'm saying that, but actually no one has really said this. Yeah. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Yeah. It. The Acts stuff I've read before doesn't, doesn't really start with that viewpoint. Right. And so I was like, well, I think this is a way to kind of put it together and say all of these themes are true, but it begins with the triune God. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Knowing um, Luke wrote Acts and he also wrote, obviously, the gospel of Luke um, and he's a Gentile and that accounts for 27 percent between Luke and Acts, 27 percent of the New Testament is written by a Gentile. And it, it lies between the Gospels and the Paul's epistles in, in the New Testament. What other uh, attributes and things that are unique about the book of Acts in the Bible? I know you mentioned in the book the uniqueness of Acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much we could say about the uniqueness of Acts. Number one, as you mentioned, he's a Gentile. And think about the scriptures. I mean, this is Jewish writing, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> So the fact, if if he is, there's a little bit of debate about whether he's a Gentile, but I tend to lean towards thinking he is a Gentile. Um, if so, if he is a Gentile, the fact that they include a Gentile author in the scriptures is actually an amazing thing, mm-hmm. because this is just a largely Jewish document or con- canon that we're reading. Yep. So they are affirming, I mean, just, I, I always want my students as I teach to reflect on this, they are affirming that Gentiles have insights into their own way of life mm-hmm. and the fulfillment in Jesus Christ that they can't maybe otherwise see. And as you mentioned, Luke writes the most in the New Testament. Like, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's just like, in, in one way, like the main issue of the New Testament is Jesus is the Messiah and how do Jews and Gentiles get along? There's many yep. ways we could, we could phrase that. 
Um, but uh, really, much of the writing revolves around that. And the fact that we have this Gentile writing this is just, it's shocking once you begin to think about how other this would have been maybe for Jews to think about a Gentile <laughs> inserting major documents into the scriptures to describe Jesus, the Messiah, and Luke, and then the early church. So how does that affect his writing? Well, there's a very clear focus, if you go back to one Acts 1.8, on the Gentiles coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, the Cornelius story is told three times. The defense of that story is called, told three times. Yep. Some people think Luke was from Antioch. And the story of the, the kind of multi-ethnic church that's true. birth there yeah. in Acts, thir- Acts 11 and Acts 13, we get a little bit of that there. And if you actually look at the names of the leaders there, you've got kind of like a Hellenistic Jew, a Pharisaical Jew, a few people from North Africa, and then um, like a kind of someone who grew up with Herod. And so obviously he's of high society. And when you look at the list there, I think that's Acts 13, the very beginning where they list off those leaders. It's, it's shocking because it's like, oh, these are all people that wouldn't naturally get along. And these are the leaders in the church. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of discussion about multi-ethnic diverse churches. But very early on in Antioch, Luke is pointing out, look, all these people are not only just getting along, but the leaders represent the different uh, people. You yeah. also see that. I, I know I'm just going off on this, but you also see this in Acts 6 with the Hellenistic yep. widows. So you yep. have the hebraic jews and the hellenistic jews which basically means for for people who don't understand those terms those who are more uh associated with the jewish tradition those who are more influenced by greek culture and there's a split and the and the those the hellenistic widows are not being cared for and it seems like they actually raise up hellenistic leaders to deal with that so you have luke very clearly hinting at we are welcoming these Gentiles into the community and not only welcoming them, but actually placing them in leadership positions, actually causing them to go out and and do uh, some of the work themselves. And so after Acts 6, you have um, Stephen and Philip who do kind of major works in terms of getting the gospel out of Jerusalem. And then we could also say Acts 13 through 28 is obviously just the mission to the ends of the earth. And so that has a huge impact. And really, as I said earlier, the rest of the New Testament, the rest of Paul's letters are going to be dealing with, okay, how do these Jews and Gentiles Mm. get along now that they're being welcome in? And so um, there's so much more I could say. I mean, Acts is my (laughs) life right now. But canonically, Acts is so important, too. If you think about the Gospels, Acts, and the Epistles, it is that bridge document. It brings us from the life of Jesus to the life of the church and gives us the narrative background by which we understand what we call the general epistles and the Pauline epistles. And what's so interesting, actually, if you look back at early manuscripts, is that actually the earliest manuscripts we have have the general or Catholic epistles coming first hmm. before the Pauline epistles. And that actually matches Luke's structure in hmm. Acts because the first half is more about the pillar apostles and the second half is about Paul. Hmm. And so I think canonically, the early church was recognizing, uh, yeah. okay, we've got like the first half, Acts 1 through 12, you know, general epistles, and then Acts 13 through 28, Pauline epistles. Um, and so there's there's kind of actually a canonical argument for ordering hmm. the rest of the epistles in the form of Acts as it um kind of leads into those letters so i don't even i've been talking too long. <laughs> no, i don't even remember what the question was but here we are <laughs> yeah no, I, think, I think you i think you nailed that a lot good. of that stuff too uh and even, even so attached to attached to next question is 
I, maybe maybe this is how I grew up. Maybe many how many grew up <clears throat> with the Book of Acts. That it's kind of this this um, he's just kind of writing down what's happening without really like paying any attention to what happened before, or what's happening in the future. But he's just kind of writing down this is what's this is the history of the church, and um, I'm just gonna tell you what's happening. Versus you make a point in your book over and over and over again. There's just a bunch of fulfillment language in the, in the book of Acts. It's not just let's write down the history of this church without any um, glance back to what's happened before, but there's a bunch of fulfillment. So if you can talk about some of the, the big moments, um, which I had never seen before, especially in Acts 9 with Paul's conversion um, in the kind of the fulfillment language with the, with, with the book of Ezekiel too, but how, how is, how is Acts kind of both bridging between Jesus's finished work on the cross and ascension and the, the church, the church being uh, church growing and the spirit moving and, and multiplying, but also with fulfillment of old Testament scriptures, fulfillment of what, what's happening in the book of Acts too. Yeah. So the book of Acts, even though it's written, we, we think by a Gentile it's, you know, Matthew is known as a very Jewish document and he's all about fulfillment. And so when we come to Acts, it's like, is this a major theme as well but very early on we can see at the beginning of acts that um not a, acts is fulfilling jesus's words from luke just to yep. begin with because yep. jesus says hey you heard me talk about you will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now yep so that's the whole start of the book but really that goes back even further jesus is talking about it so you kind of have to do this like train of thought like jesus mm -hmm. talked about it but he talked about it because the prophets talked about yeah, it. yeah exactly right and so when peter gets up in acts 2 and preaches his sermon after the spirit falls you know these people are looking at him they're like they must be drunk and he's like it's nine in the morning we're not drunk and I'm like, well some <laughs> yeah. people drink at nine in the morning but i guess he's saying he doesn't <laughs> yeah um and so he goes back, though, to Joel 2 and the prophecy that the spirit will come. So Luke, as a Gentile, is very cognizant of the Old Testament scriptures and recognizing that all of this is going according to the plan of God. Now, uh, I could say so much in terms of tracing this out, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, we go back uh, even to the question where the disciples ask, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Acts 1, 6 through 8. And Jesus answers no, not now, but yes, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Really, that sets up the whole book as this yeah. kind of kingdom fulfillment, not in the way that you maybe originally thought, but in this way. And what Luke keeps driving us back to, this is the way that the Old Testament predicted. And, you know, just a big picture of Acts. I think Acts 1 through 7, kind of my argument is Acts 1 through 7 is about Israel being restored, which yeah. is a key um prophecy from the old testament especially isaiah acts 8 through 12 is about the outcasts uh being welcomed in mm -hmm. and acts 13 through 28 is about the ends of the earth where mm -hmm. that's again a prophecy from isaiah 49 6 i think it is that the mm -hmm. ends of the earth shall come to him so you think back to isaiah or you think back to the prophets and it speaks about the nations streaming to mount zion the nations coming to it and learning the law and you think about uh, even uh, the people being sent out to the nations. Luke is very clearly writing all of this in terms of the fulfillment of scripture. So mm -hmm. you can look at the whole kind of big macro structure and see that, or you can even look like, I think what a lot of people miss is when they choose Matthias, the 12th disciple mm -hmm. that, that Peter again, goes back to the Psalms and says, mm -hmm. you have to pick another and, and his uh, resting place will be desolate. Like the Psalms already predicted that the typological 
main betrayer of the Davidic sufferer is going to be cast away and someone's going to take his place. Hmm. And not only does that fulfill those, the Psalms, but that big narrative fulfills the reality that Israel will be restored because you have to have 12 disciples before the spirit falls. So when people come to that text, a lot of people are like, what's up with Matthias? He never returns again. Well, the point is the fulfillment of scriptures, as Peter says, he quotes from the scriptures, this, it was necessary that this would happen. And I think that's so important for Luke, because Luke is saying, even the most horrendous act of betraying the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ was according to Mm. the plan of God. So Mm -hmm. that's really important to set up the whole narrative because again and again, throughout acts, people are going to try to knock this plan off track, whether it's Herod, whether it's Ananias and Sapphira, whether it's the temple leaders and the apostles keep going back to the scriptures and say, see, he predicted this. We need to keep going forward. Mm. We don't lose heart because of this. So that's Mm. in terms of encouragement, like what's the purpose of the book of acts it is to encourage the church to keep going despite the persecution mm. this i mean as we kind of began spoken speaking about this is this is the model of the ministry there's going to be great power paired with great suffering mm. yeah cool yeah so, so why the theme of the trinity for acts how how is the father son and spirit explained and yeah. you know why is the trinity picked as a theme to describe acts for yeah because they're not like specific like you said they're not lined out in the book saying oh the trinity is now working here here's the father working here's the son working here's the spirit working right yeah so there's a few texts that i could go to uh i mean i want to look at the big picture but uh one of them I, we already went to briefly is acts one four and five um jesus is commanding them not to leave jerusalem but to wait for the father's promise so there we have the father right Mm. just in acts one four through five right at the beginning and who's speaking he said which you have heard me speak about the son speaking and what is the father's promise which the son relays for john baptized you with water but you will be baptized Mm. with the holy spirit so Mm -hmm. acts one four and five we've got father's promise that the son relays about the holy spirit and so you fast forward into the narrative and what happens is the father's promise comes true and it only comes true because according to Peter's sermon, Jesus, the Christ has been exalted. Hmm. So you go forward into Peter's um, sermon in acts two, the kind of Pentecost sermon. You look at a verse like acts two 22. Um, it's interesting because it's a very Trinitarian sermon. Like we think about the, I, I like to call this the first Christian sermon in some mm. sense. I know mm-hmm. it's anachronistic, but it is kind of like, okay, Jesus has been exalted. This is the first Christian sermon. And what does he speak about? Well, he speaks about Jesus mainly. Yes. So Jesus has died. He's lived. He's died. He rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the father. That's the basic structure of the speech. But if you look carefully at the speech, remember it begins with a quote from Joel about the spirit coming. He's explaining Mm -hmm. why the spirit came. So you actually got to back up and say, okay, you have this spirit first and he's explaining that. And the way that he explains the spirit is by arguing that Jesus has been exalted. And why was Jesus exalted? Well, notice throughout the verses in 222, it says a man attested by God, the father with miracles. 222, wonders and signs that God did, the Father did through Jesus. 223, 
He, Jesus, was delivered up according to God the Father's determined plan. Uh, 2.24, God the Father raised him up. 2.30, God has sworn an oath to David. 2.32, God himself has raised Jesus up. And then this is the key verse, uh, Acts 2.33. He says, therefore, since he, Jesus, has been exalted to the right hand of God the Father and has received from the Father... Mm the promised Holy Spirit. Look how it all comes together. Yeah, in that's true. Yeah. Right. He has poured out what you both seen here. So remember what Peter's trying to do. He's trying to make an argument for why is this happening? Why are we speaking different languages? Why have we been filled with the Holy Spirit? Why is this flame resting over our head? Whether they could see that or not is what we could talk through that. But yeah, the, yeah. the point is because the father had a plan, he promised the Holy Spirit. And because Jesus has been exalted, he has pierced that barrier between heaven and earth. And now the spirit has actually come down and he's bringing heaven and earth together. Mm -hmm. And that is a hugely Trinitarian statement. And I think actually one of the problems with evangelicalism right now is that we have a gospel without the Trinity. Mm. We, we basically have gospel presentations that don't include the Trinity. Yeah. And that's the bedrock of our faith. So my big push at a more practical level is to say your gospel needs to include Trinitarian realities. Now mm -hmm. you don't have to get into like, how does this all work out? How is he one in three persons? But think about, go back to Ephesians one, the father predestined, the son redeems and the spirit seals. That's the gospel, right? Yep, yeah. yep. And so, so often we just talk about Jesus and I know that yes, he was the one who became incarnate, was the one who was revealed, but this was at the father's behest, right? And this, and we now live in the days of the spirit. So I think the big push for me is just to see underneath all of this is the triune God working and to push against this reality that we either speak about the spirit or we speak about Jesus and we don't talk about the father as well. Mm -hmm. And if, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into systematic theology, but this actually corresponds to their, so how, how do you distinguish the father from the son and the spirit? Well, according to early church history, it's their eternal relations of yep. origin. Yep. The father is the father, the son is the son, those names and the spirit mean something. And actually these missions of the father planning, the, 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 the son kind of redeeming and the spirit sealing fits their eternal relations mm. of origin. <clears throat> and so Luke is actually kind of bringing in, we think of Acts as only history, but he's bringing in so much theology here. Like that it's, it's, it's the warp and woof of, of what he's writing. Yeah, no, I, I love yeah. it. And you're, so as, as we're talking to, I'm, I'm reminded. So we, we talked to Dr. Matthew Barrett a couple, uh, like six or seven months ago. Yeah. And I know he's one of your colleagues too. And I, yes. I know he's, yep. he's, uh, he's helping um, not rebirth, but like reinvigorate the church around this Trinitarian language. And we're starting yes. to see this, everywhere within within scripture and not because we're placing it on scripture but because we're actually realizing no this is this is the bedrock of scripture and obviously being the bedrock of the book of acts too um and you talk throughout the the chapter throughout chapters and there's one chapter to really kind of devote on on the word being um this active agent within the book of acts actually accomplishing things um whether or not the people know what it's doing or actually trying to do anything about it yeah, that's right. And I just want to go back for a minute. We could talk about the word, but just two verses that kind of stuck out to me as I was working on this too. When, when Paul recounts, and Peter, this is true, what has happened, 
Uh, you look at a verse like Acts 15, 4, this is the Jerusalem Council. They arrived there, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and they reported, this is after Paul and Silas's first missionary journey. What did they report? They reported all that, they, that had been done. No, they reported all that the Holy Spirit had been done. No, it, it says they reported all that God had done with them. So hmm. who's the primary actor? It goes back. Who's the primary actor? Yeah. Paul is saying God has done something and I'm just a vessel. <laughs> and actually that's what he is. He's the chosen vessel according to Acts 9. Mm -hmm. uh, again, Paul in Acts 21, 18 through 19, he's meeting with James and the elders and he reports all that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And what's really clear is that it's the spirit God, the Father, through the Son and the Spirit that are pushing these people into these regions that they don't even hardly want to go. Like Paul doesn't, he's not planning to go over to Macedonia and Achaia. And the Spirit's like, nope, go over there. They need you. They need you. Uh, Philip, he's just like picked up in place randomly on the like desert road. Like we don't even know where he came from. And then he's taken away from it and he meets the eunuch. So again, this isn't, this isn't their plan to go to the ends of the earth. This is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit's plan. This is what they want to do. Now, um, you, you asked about the word. How does the word, uh, how is the word kind of used in this? Well, the word becomes an agent. What's so cool about Acts is that you can see that Luke is pulling from a theology, both from Genesis and mm -hmm. Jesus, and mm -hmm. I'd say um, Isaiah as well that the word is active. So think about Genesis, when God creates, mm -hmm. things happen when he speaks, mm -hmm. things grow up. And I think that's why Jesus talks about his speech as a word, a seed that will go in the ground and then will sprout up and bring forth fruit. And so um, when, I think it's Acts 6, 7, at the, end of yep. the, yeah. um, at the end of the Hellenistic widows, it says, so the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Um, the word of God spread, and actually this translation is really bad because it's the word of God spread and increased. It wasn't the disciples that increased, it's mm -hmm. the word that increased. And so what, how can a word increase? Well, it can increase because it's active. It's actually the speech of God himself is part of God himself, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like that, that's the theology he's working with. And so again and again, Acts 6, 7, Acts 12, 24, Acts 19, 20, there's these kind of key statements that the word grew. And you'd think you'd say the church grew, the disciples grew. Like, no, but it's the word that grows. Why? Because the word becomes that kind of main agent, that main actor. And so yeah. that was actually the hardest thing for me because I was like, wait a second, you have the father, you have the son, mm -hmm. you have the spirit, and then you have the word, which <laughs> yeah. actually is kind of a part of all of them. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It, it becomes a divine agent. Um, David Peterson's commentary in the pillar series is the best at this, like his focus mm. in acts is about the word growing so hmm. if you want to look at like so so when i surveyed it was like okay he's talking about the word alan thompson's talking about uh jesus other two people are speaking about the spirit i want to kind of bring it all together and hmm. say this is all true but i i, I want to put it in a logical order so um yeah so you go to the end of the book uh and, and you have this idea that the word doesn't stop growing so acts 28 what is it 31 yeah uh, or 28 yeah somewhere at the end yeah, that Paul was in Rome proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
So he's proclaiming this word and the word will go forth and it won't be stopped. So that's really the main message. And what I was saying is it was difficult for me to figure out how does the word relate to the three mm. persons of the Trinity. And I think it's just, it's a, it's, it's another agent that they use. It, it's, it's so closely associated with their action. And that, I mean, how does that help us? Well, as we speak the words of God, we're delivering the message of God himself. And that's where the power is. It's not necessarily in ourselves. It's actually in the words of mm. God. <clears throat> so when, when he says in Acts 1-8, I will give you power of the Holy Spirit. I think the disciples were thinking, we're going to become an army. <laughs> and he's like, mm -hmm. no, yeah. here's what it's going to look like in Acts 2. You're going to be able to speak different languages. And they're like, that's, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted like to defeat Rome. I wanted to like have actual power, not power in terms of words. And he's like, no, every, what's so interesting about the spirit is when the spirit works and acts, it's so tied to the tongue. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul picks up on that. He's like, you want to know if you're spirit filled in Ephesians? Are you singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs? Are you <laughs> basically it's, it, it has to do with your time. Now it has to do with your actions too. Yeah. But it's such a, it, it's such a reversal or uh, uh, challenges our way of thinking of what, what actually is power. The power of the Holy spirit is actually to bring resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So that, that I think was in one way shocking to them. And then they go back to the old Testament. They say, Oh yes, Joel said we would prophesy. Joel said we would do these things. This, mm -hmm. this is exactly what they predicted. Yeah. I love mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And before Nick asks his, his next question, just kind of, kind of an affirmation, but also kind of a point there's, in the upcoming book that Dr. Beale um, wrote, which was also a, a second edition of it too, with IVP, that God dwells among us. He actually makes the kind of the same point on the word multiplying in the book of Acts being a fulfillment of Genesis three or Genesis one of the Adamic, that commandment to Adam to be fruitful and multiply. And then who do we see doing the fruitful and multiplying? We see God doing it in the book of Acts. That's right. And the temple theme, I mean, just to jump in here, uh, we, I didn't talk I don't think I talked a lot about that in my a little tiny theology, bit, but that's a huge theme in my commentary. And I think what people miss is they're like, oh yeah, you have Pentecost. There's the temple imagery, the fire and the wind. Yeah. But you have temple imagery at the very beginning too, in the Ascension, <laughs> he goes up in the clouds of heaven. So the true priest has been enthroned and then he brings mm. the presence of God down to the earth by the Holy spirit. And so the whole earth is becoming that temple, not completely yet, but it partially. Yeah. And where do they go and do their work immediately in the temple? And what's interesting is that in the temple itself, the physical temple, it's where there's persecution and in the houses, that's where the temple presence resides. So mm. there's this reversal that's going on. The house is a place of peace, the household. And that's why I think actually they begin using almost household type language. And the yeah. temple is where the temple leaders are. And they're saying, we don't want the presence of God, the resurrection life here. And mm. they spread, what do they spread? They spread death. They arrest them. They imprison them. Some of them are killed while the apostles are spreading life. And so what, what was the presence of God supposed to give even originally in the garden? It was supposed to give that life, that flourishing. And yeah. that's what the apostles are spreading and the temple leaders are saying, no, we want our power. We, we want the people to listen to us. We don't like what you're doing. Stop mm. preaching about Jesus. And the apostles say, we, we can't listen to what you say. We have to follow God. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, and a, an attempt to bridge between the early church immediately after Jesus's ascension with the book of Acts when it was written, who is written to, to the modern church today. How does a revival of studying Acts help the modern church today? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I do think, uh, you know, I use the language from Brandon Crow that I found helpful, um, that Acts is both a transitional book and a programmatic book. Yeah. Um, transitional in that it is recounting something in history that occurred once, like that there was a uniqueness to that period that yeah. Pentecost happened and that can never be taken away. But it's also programmatic in the sense that it, it is meant to instruct us how we're to act and what we're to do. This is not just recounting. Again, I think we, we shortchange Luke if we come to him and we say, oh, he's just recounting history and has nothing to do with us. No, when he dis when he describes in Acts two, um, like forty three to forty seven, I think it is the practices of the early yep. church. Yep. They devoted themselves to teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. That's what we need to devote ourselves to. I think that's the instruction for us. Like we are supposed to follow them, and so when you come to the book of Acts, I think the error, are, the, the, the two errors are to completely put it in the past or to completely mm. say, we, we want it to look exactly the same. Mm. There was some uniqueness about what happened, but it, we, as I go back to Pentecost, we still live in the days of the spirit. So uh, I think one person put it this way, or maybe I put it this way. I don't <laughs> um, Pentecost is not repeatable, but it's also not retractable. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we live in the same era. We still have the same spirit. We still have the same power of the spirit, but there was a uniqueness to the spirit falling, right? Mm -hmm. And so Paul will say, be filled with the spirit because the spirit is already here amongst us. And like, because Pentecost has already happened. So I think trying to balance those two things. And when you come to things that are difficult, like, are we supposed to doing, be doing the exact same thing? I think you can go through kind of the typical interpretation moves like is this reality repeated uh, is or is this kind of a one-off situation mm -hmm. do we see further support of this reality in the rest of the new testament and so kind of going through those like basic so the famous example is when they cast lots for matthias right mm. and everyone's like do we do that well the rest of acts they don't cast lots mm. they actually say let's choose some leaders who are full of the spirit and mm. full of wisdom and full of grace and then later on in the New Testament, you actually have uh, qualifications for elders. So it's like, are we casting lots? Or are we doing this? Well, remember where the casting lots took place. It was before Pentecost. Hmm. So it was actually, in one sense, at that bridge between the old and new era. Right? Interesting, yeah. And that kind of mirrors Jonah and it mirrors just the Old Testament, kind of how yeah. God works sovereignly. And then in the, new, like in the new era, that seems to go away. And so I would argue with that example... Well, we don't have that repeated. We don't see that in the rest of the New Testament. And we actually see, that, see them doing something different as, as, as time goes on. So um, I think we actually don't follow something like that. But then when you see them preaching the gospel, when them going around spreading resurrection life through healing, that seems to continue all the way through the book. And it continues in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And we can get into how far does that continue Um into our era but that does seem to be something that continues either in a greater or lesser mm. form mm -hmm. um 
what, what is interesting, what, what I kind of, I mean, I'm interested, you know, this is where we would get in trouble, at least us, you know, me, a Baptist talking to Reformed <laughs> Presbyterians, but maybe I won't get in trouble because actually this is interesting because I was looking through Acts and trying to think like, does this fit my ecclesiology? Huh. <laughs> what I, what, I, what yeah. I found interesting. Like, oh no, I got to be Reformed Presbyterian. Oh man, <laughs> this is not good. What I found interesting is that actually, I don't think Luke gives a strong argument for either one. Uh-huh. because sometimes the church is selecting people and sometimes the apostles are doing it. Yeah. So just like who has authority to do this? Sometimes it's Paul and sometimes it's the church. And so it doesn't seem like Luke is really trying to give us a full blown, like this is what you do totally, in terms yep. of how to run the church. He, he's, he's giving us some little hints of how things run. And I would say at a, at a basic level, there's both leadership in the church and there's involvement from congregants in the church. Yeah. But how that actually plays out, Luke's not, he's not giving us the details on that. And so I think in that sense, actually, we can come together and say, you know what, like we, we're trying to piece this thing together. And Luke, he actually gives some arguments for what I'd say, some Presbyterian forms and some Baptistic forms. Mm -hmm. He gives some of both. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we're, we we probably have different (laughs) ways of looking at things. (laughs) Exactly. And that's okay. So actually I was uh, I just tried to be honest with the evidence and be like, yeah, it just is not really clear what's happening here. Paul, sometimes in the first missionary journey, he just goes back through towns and sets up elders. Mm-hmm. Other times he's like, hey, pick some elders out, uh, elders out from among you. And I'm like, oh, so <laughs> which one is it, Paul? <laughs> and, you know, yeah. People have arguments for which one it is, but Luke just, that's just not his purpose. So um, we, we have to remember like what's as we ask those type of questions, we do need to remember, like, what's the driving point of the narrative? Like, you can take out some details and try to form a whole theology of it. And sometimes we need to do that. But we also have to be careful and say, you know, maybe Act 6 isn't about mainly the selection of the next leaders. (laughs) Maybe it's more about the word of God going forth. You know what I mean? Like, just to remember the main point of these narratives. So, I've said a lot on that. But. No, that's no, that's that's really good. And I mean, even even amongst that. So my my last question before we before we end this out, if Nick has anything else, or if you want to add to to what we've already talked about. So you have you have a bunch of just like what you're talking about. You have a bunch of like little nuggets that I just I hadn't thought about before. One of them being kind of the witness language, where we think witness is so much about like oh let's let's be a witness in our life and and our ministry, but it being a little bit closer to courtroom language and them being in front of people and, and witnessing towards death um, at the end of, of Paul handling the snake and the snake, it being again, that looking back to Genesis three is like, no, I've, I've, I've accomplished, I've accomplished the, the serpent crushing. So if you can maybe drop a little bit of like those teasers, people who are looking at this book and say, Hey, quote unquote, like, why should I buy this? Like, what, what are you going to, what are you going to show me in this book that I just hadn't seen before? Yeah. I mean, maybe we can go to the end there and acts, uh, 26 27 28 when paul is going through the waters a lot of people don't know what to do with oh, all yeah. of that yep. water imagery and i think if you go back to the old testament and think through the waters as this kind of chaotic gentile realm and remember that god is saving him through the waters i mean we have these themes in jesus's life and the old testament mm-hmm. there's actually a lot of strong jonah echoes he's the mm-hmm. reverse character of jonah jonah yeah, says, was, i had never thought about that before fail forth to Nineveh and share the yeah. gospel. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go. And Paul's like, no, I'm going. Uh, uh-huh. and, and God actually brings this storm. But what he does is he actually saves, I, I would argue, he saves the Gentiles on the boat. He brings them through with him. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this water crossing and then you come to the snake, as you mentioned, 
I mean, who is that mirroring? Like Israel, water crossing, snake, right? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, water crossing, temptation, snake. You know what I mean? Like you've got all these echoes here. And so you come to this kind of water and snake imagery and you have to begin reading. uh, This is what I'd say. You have to read Acts, not just literally, but understand that he's echoing Old Testament and New Testament stories again and again in the narratives that he tells. And so, I mean, you mentioned Acts 9, a lot of times people don't think about Paul looks up and there's this bright light and he sees Jesus, but Ezekiel looks up and he sees this bright light mm-hmm. and he sees this human figure and he, and then it just stops. It's like, we don't know who it is. He's like, there is one like a human. And we're like, well, who is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's a fulfillment there that uh. Paul is now seeing, oh, that's Jesus upon the throne. That's Jesus seated upon the throne. So you have to, I think just one of the things I'm, I'm trying to get across to people is read slowly and carefully and take that whole kind of realm of biblical knowledge and start to understand that Luke and the Holy Spirit, by placing this in the canon of scripture, is connecting not just with the gospel of Luke, but connecting with the whole canon. Mm-hmm. And that, that widens what we call in seminary, your intertextual lens the connections that you can make to the rest of the Bible, you can do that because the Holy spirit is the primary author of this book. Mm -hmm. And so you can make connections to Genesis as we have to revelation to Jonah and so forth and so on. And I think that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's stuff. I think people don't necessarily notice when they're reading the book of Acts as we read it just as the book of Acts within and of itself without realizing it's the same author it's using the same themes of everywhere else. And kind of in our speak, we use it. It's a covenant document within the covenant document. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And the witness language you brought up. I mean, we need to end. I know, but go back to Isaiah to be a witness is to be a servant and it's to be on trial. Yep. So you come to Acts 24 through 26 and Paul's on trial. He's like not moving around at all, hardly in Acts mm. 24 through 26. And people are like, what's going on? Well, certainly it's mirroring Jesus's trials, mm. but I think even not more than that. But in addition to that, that is what it means to be a witness. It is to be on trial. That That is legal terminology. So to end with four chapters of Paul being like on trial actually makes complete sense. Although to us, it feels like the narrative pauses. And if you go back to Isaiah, it, the witness is the servant. And so I kept saying in my book, we have one true big S servant, Jesus Christ. We are the servants' servants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are the servant servant, right? Like we we go out and we do the same thing. And so, what does that mean? Well, what does the servant do? The servant lays down his life. What is Paul doing? He's going to prison, not because that's where he wants to be, but he's mm-hmm. laying down his life for the gospel, just like Jesus did. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, I don't know, Nick. If you have anything else? Yeah, I just I think. Uh, thank you for this because it, it reminded us how encouraging the book of Acts is yeah. for the church and as Christians that the spirit is is growing the church multi ethnically internationally. Um, it is the eye of the tiger, you know, <laughs> for for us for yeah. us Christians getting the the positive uplifting uh, motivation to that the the church is going is growing to every nation that's right and 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 especially despite persecution yep that's right you know yeah. that the more that the more that satan throws at us yeah almost like fueled almost. by persecution um, that's right. even above despite it 
That's right. Yeah. yeah Ma- Matthew, yeah, you think of Matthew 16. I will build my church. Mm-hmm. Amen. And then he Amen. says, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no. And then he's like, you're going to die too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. how is he? I mean, I think the narrative structure there is I will build my church. And guess what? You're going to suffer in the midst of it. That's mm-hmm. the reality. That mm-hmm. That's what we should expect. He is going to make his plan go forward. And it will it'll mean heartache for us. So there will be both like great encouragement and great um, suffering in the midst of it. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And it's, <clears throat> I've, I've, I mean, I, I think I've read quite a bit on the gospels and acts, but if I, if, if I can kind of toot your horn, cause I know, I know you wouldn't necessarily do that yourself and say, talk about like all the grand things about it. it's, it is the best book I've, I've read on, on the book of acts, <laughs> both theologically on a commentary wise. So I'm looking forward to your, to your commentary. I, I highly recommend this book. If you guys want to, if you want to learn more, not just facts about the book of acts, but fulfillment language in this and encouraging um, a message in this. And also too, if you want to learn a little bit about Taylor Swift, then there's a, there's a couple comments on Taylor Swift. <laughs> you want to learn Voldemort. a little bit about Drake Voldemort. or did you catch the Voldemort one? I, I, I did not catch the Voldemort one. I did. I you did. guys okay. pop culture <laughs> references. I, I, I've never, I think you made a comment on Twitter. I've never seen a commentator pull Kanye, I think Drake, <laughs> and I think Taylor Swift Drake. in the Drake. same commentary. And and Voldemort. And Voldemort. Yeah, so yeah, you, you, you got you got you got all the, the best of all worlds in, in, in this I little, think people this need to book. be entertained a little while they're reading. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, that's my theory. And you know, publishers sometimes are like, this doesn't belong in this. And I'm like, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah it, gives, it gives you a little laugh as you're reading, which which is good. There's it's it's uh it's hard hitting, it's encouraging. Yeah, and there's 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 points. I think you you, you play some well for, for a little laughter. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on, talking about your book. And um, I'm excited for people to get in this in their hands and, and learn more about how is, how is the triune God working in this church, both then and how is he working in it now? So thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Are you looking for reformed church in the Orange County, Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the book of judges, as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's Welcome to Reform Church, beginning weekly on December 2nd, which is a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you'd like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at santaanareformed at gmail.com or head to either Guilt Grace Pod or Santa Ana URC on Twitter or find the link in the show notes to learn more. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and, uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge 
is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy as again we bridge the gap to reform christian <laughs> theology exactly the yeah and you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.